I mean, at the end of the day, you want to be a respectable farmer. You want to treat the land the way that it's supposed to be treated. You know, you want the consumer to respect you. Welcome to the Future Faster, a sustainable agriculture podcast by Nutrient Ag Solutions with our very own Tom Daniel, Director, North America Retail and Grower Sustainable Ag, and Dr. Sally Fliss, Senior Manager, North America Sustainable Ag and Carbon. This is your opportunity to learn about the next horizon in sustainable agriculture for growers, for partners, for the planet. To us, it's not about changing what's always worked. It's about continuing to do the little things that make a big impact. On this week's episode, Jeanette Vizi-Post, a dairy farmer with operations in New York and Ohio, joins us to discuss what prompted her jointly run family operation to get involved in the Nutrient Ag Solutions carbon pilot, how she collects data on their operation, and how they benefited from incorporating sustainable practices in their farm fields last year. But if you haven't yet, make sure you're subscribed to this podcast in your favorite app. Also, make sure you follow Nutrient Ag Solutions on Facebook and Instagram. I'm Dusty Weiss, and it's time once again to introduce Tom Daniel and Sally Fliss. And Tom and Sally, Nutrient Ag Solutions held its Carbon Summit a few weeks back now at Commodity Classic in New Orleans. Such a great event. We got a lot of great feedback from the growers. But Tom, you said that uh, you also got some questions, particularly a lot of growers curious about when we're going to be learning about next year's sustainability projects. Yeah, Dusty. So a lot of the questions that came from the growers that attended that summit were specific to, you know, what are going to be the upcoming programs? When can we expect those announcements, so forth and so on? And Sally, as we listen to those discussions, we always recognize that any carbon program is really about the all the farmer practices that are going to be initiated to that crop year. So, you know, we even talk about cover crops. You know, the fall cover crops of 2022 will be related to the 2023 crop crop as far as tracking the practice to the crop. So Sally, when you view the optimal timing for us to have some of our program announcements out for 2023? I think probably mid-year, Tom. I think we've got to be getting those announcements out probably June, July as people are starting to look at, you know, did they get the crop in the field that they planned to get the crop in that field or did they end up getting something else? And so how does that change their crop rotation going into the next season? And so already starting to think about input costs and especially with some of the supply chain pressures we have right now, I'm sure people will be starting to think about you know sourcing and getting seed or fertilizer products that they need by midsummer for the 2023 crop. And I think one thing you and I were actually talking about this morning is how do we shift our programs into more of a continuous enrollment type situation where you know we have an opening date for that crop season but the program's always available right so right now we're trying to get growers signed up for sustainable nitrogen outcome in their 2022 crop because there's still some opportunity to make those nitrogen management decisions either before the crop goes in the ground or before you go out to do a side dress or some later in season applications so there's still opportunity for 2022 but really just continuing to roll that enrollment through the summer of you know now that we've got that 2022 crop established and we're comfortable with where it's at in the field. What are you thinking you might want to do for 2023? And this plays into another discussion we were having this morning, Tom, of who is going to really be the driver on deciding the value of carbon credits going forward? How much, you know, on our previous episodes, we've talked with people like Candace Lang, who talked about the investor push on these reportings versus what we've seen as challenges in the field for the push on what's really practical for a 
growers and ag retail to do. So what are you hearing in the field as you talk to people and get a landscape of this on who is going to have the biggest influence on the value of carbon in the next 18 months or three years? Strictly from my opinion, and I'm going to state that up front, I think the value of the carbon credits, Sally, have to be somewhat based upon what the um, overall expense piece for the grower is going to be around these programs. So today, that $15 or $20 a ton, as you hear the different markets out there around carbon, don't cover the cost of the initial things around sequestered carbon. So they're not going to cover the cost of cover crops or the cost of some of the practice changes, equipment changes to get to a no-till situation. They're just not going to cover those. So the value for carbon is going to have to catch up to the practice change cost that we're asking a grower to initiate, or the grower is going to have to look at practice change based upon not just the payment he receives from a change, such as cover crop or no-till, but he's going to have to look at the ROI from the agronomic side of it, you know, what's the soil health benefit or the water quality benefit that he may be shooting for. So I think the value right now is the same value it has been. It's been in that $15 to $20 a ton range. But it's as the market grows, it's a voluntary market in the U.S. So we're looking at carbon prices based upon what people are willing to pay. You know, and so right now it seems to be a relatively low number. But we need to see carbon in that $30 to $40 a range per ton to help pay for some of these practice changes we're going to ask for. So those are some of the things that I see right now. Is that kind of where you were headed? with the question? Yeah, I think we all, we see that in the field, right? We've had some conversations recently where that average cost of a cover crop is maybe $32 an acre. So at $15 a ton for carbon and less than a ton per acre, we're not getting close to having some really early on good return on investment for growers, right? It's costing them money. But the other big piece on there is how does the buyer side or the investor side help us drive that value? I mean, they're asking for it. How do we help growers get a better value back per ton? Because somebody is asking for this information. I've had multiple comments come in to me about how robust our ESG report was when it was released in the last few weeks. Yeah. And those ESG reports are being published from multiple different companies and industries right now. And those are specific reports that the investors look at. In fact, we had Candace talk about ESG on one of our last podcasts around what is an ESG and why is it important to the investment group. And investment groups today are starting to have a green discussion, you know, whether or not the company they're investing in has sustainable metrics that they're shooting for, or if they're actually helping in in doing climate change opportunities in the field. So that is one of the key pieces right now that we see. So we talk about sustainability being consumer driven. And a lot of times people think, well, the consumer is the person who's buying the package off the shelf, you know, whether that product was sustainably sourced and sustainably grown. But the other consumer is also the consumer that's buying stocks today and what they're investing in in the marketplace. And they're looking for companies that have specific environmental goals attached and are living by those goals and making sure those goals are measured in the field. So we're as concerned about the consumer who's buying a food product or a fiber or fuel product today that agriculture products are attached to. But we're also concerned about the investor piece. You know, are they investing in our company because they consider us to be a green investment moving forward? And for a fertilizer company, that's something we have to strive for. 
Yeah, exactly. Tom, another question that I got from growers and a little bit from some of our crop consultants, you know, it was a short-term project for 2021. And again, we only have a one-year agreement for our 2022 work in the sustainable nitrogen outcomes. But what is the purpose behind Nutrien doing these projects is a question that came up from a couple of different groups while we were at our Carbon Summit. I would say the main reason that we become involved in a lot of this is because one, we have the direct contact with the grower. You know, if you look at our grower interaction, we've got multiple crop consultants and agronomists, precision ag people, digital agronomy, digital adoption people. We have tons of interactions with the grower. And because we have those interactions with the grower, we're the ones getting asked a lot of questions. You know, what are these carbon markets? Why are they out here? How can I participate? And so for Nutrien, we need to be that valued contributor for information back to the grower. We need to be a source of knowledge that we can help share with the grower where we think the market is headed, how they should possibly, you know, give advice on participation, so forth and so on. So one, I think one of the main components of us being in carbon today is because we're trying to be that value source of information back to the grower. Secondly, Nutrien as a company, we have a desire from a sustainability point of view to limit nitrous oxide emissions, which is some of the nitrogen products that we sell in fertilizer. And we want to be able to help our growers understand how we can grow and be more productive and maybe even reduce inputs on the acre or at least get more production out of the inputs that we're currently using today. So we're increasing nitrogen or nutrient use efficiency on the farm. Those, I think, are the two key components that we're working with. But I'd say the number one is we want to be the advocate for the grower. We want to be the ones out there that are giving the best advice to the grower moving forward so that they can take advantage of these different revenue streams as they become available. Well, and guys, having spent time with the growers at the Carbon Summit at Commodity Classic in New Orleans, we thanked them probably about 20 times for being a part of the pilot program, but also for the insights that they were willing to share with us. And hearing from them was certainly one of the coolest parts about being in New Orleans. In fact, we had a chance to interview one of those growers for this podcast. Jeanette Vesey Post is her name. She farms 13,000 acres and maintains a dairy herd of about 8,000 head. Everyone stands to benefit from some of the insights that she's uncovered over the last year in Nutrient Ag Solutions Carbon Pilot. So Jeanette is coming up in a moment here on The Future Faster. FarmSmart is the core of Nutrient Ag Solutions' sustainable agriculture offerings, leading the field with growers to record positive environmental impacts while identifying and embracing new revenue streams. In leveraging practices and products and recording your outcomes, your reward for making informed agronomic decisions will be waiting for you in our digital sustainability platform. The data you input can help set a baseline, identify opportunities for continued improvement, and help qualify you for market access opportunities. We're here to maximize incentives and help ensure the legacy of your operation. Getting started with FarmSmart is easy. Log in or create an account with Agrable. Then track your data and get paid. Getting started now means we can get to the future faster. FarmSmart, where sustainability meets opportunity. NutrientActSolutions.com slash FarmSmart. 
This is The Future Faster, a sustainable agriculture podcast by Nutrient Ag Solutions. I'm Dusty Weiss, along with Tom Daniel and Sally Fliss, and we're joined now by Jeanette Vizi-Post. She's a grower from Western New York, uh, operation that consists mainly of dairy with a little bit of corn silage and alfalfa as well, basically feeding those 8,000 head of cow that they've got there and 13,000 acres total in the operation. So Jeanette, Thank you so much for joining us on The Future Faster. Thank you. For starters, just tell us a little bit more about the operation. I understand that it's actually a partnership between two families that's been going for a better part of 50 years now. Yep. So we're a partnership between the lamb family and the VZ family. The lambs kind of oversee all the dairy cows and the VZs take care of all the crops, putting up the feed for the cows and we take care of all the book works. So Jeanette, one of your operations is a couple miles from my house, just down the road from us. And then the other one is just a little bit east of us. And working with your crop consultant at your New York location, you got interested and we visited with you on our 2021 carbon end-to-end pilots. Why were you guys interested in participating in a carbon pilot this year? So I think trying to show the consumer of what we're doing and carbon is kind of a big part of that has become pretty popular. So it was brought to our attention. So we kind of just wanted to try it and see how it would fit into our operation. So carbon has become one of those key buzzwords, right? That's all we're hearing about everywhere. And so one of the purposes of the pilot that we had this year was to learn, right? And to figure out what we liked, what we didn't like as we move forward. So from your perspective in 2021, what did you like about the program that you participated in? And give us the dislikes too. So it was really easy to join. It was a lot of data collection, but Nutrien made it very easy for us. As long as we could supply them the data, they kind of entered it in for us. So the ease of that was super beneficial. It would have been hard if we had to do it all of ourselves. Anything else that you can think of that you particularly liked about it? I guess you got paid, right? Yeah, we got paid. Yeah, that's okay. always a good that, part, right? That's kind of a key thing, <laughs> right? But data entry is a problem. And it was one of our goals. We called it the white glove treatment for 2021. We said we were going to let our growers provide the data and then we would do the manual entries and get it into the system. But that's something over time everybody's going to have to recognize. Data is a big, important part of these pilots going forward. So you guys have a really robust data collection system as we went in to pull out the things that we needed. What pushed you guys to keep the level of detail on every pass you're doing on that field and all the stuff that's going on within every single field on 13,000 acres? So for me, I'm very data driven. So the more information I can get and learn from, the more improvements we can make. As you look at the data that was collected over the last year, I mean, what are some of the insights that you learned about your own operation? What changes are you going to be able to incorporate going forward, do you think? So I think some of that is just going to be able to do more. We didn't do as much as we wanted to, especially like on variable rate fertilizer. We didn't do as much we wanted to in 21. And I think in 22, we will. Farming has to be flexible, right? And even our carbon programs have to be flexible based upon the conditions that you're facing in the field all the time. You have good intentions. What did uh, Michael Tyson say? You know, you've got a great plan until you get hit in the face the first time and then kind of things fall out. So I think these programs have to be flexible because things are going to occur 
that's going to kick you out. What were some of the things that kept you from doing what you wanted to do as far as variable rate or any of the other practices, maybe? So weather kind of played a huge role. We were very rushed last year, even at planting. So I like to do variable rate by manure spreading. And so we spread the manure and then we can apply variable rate fertilizer where the manure doesn't get. And last year was just tough to get it from the manure spreaders into the software and back to the planter. When it was go time, it was go time because of all the rain. And so even in summer with side dressing, we were going to do a lot more variable rate side dressing as well. And it was just timing. So Jeanette, the carbon around soil crop management is only one side of what you can do with reducing emissions, especially in a livestock operation with the dairy cattle. I know you guys have manure digesters on the farm and are already listed on some of the carbon registries as taking advantage of the benefits of reducing methane emissions from the manure digestion. How did you guys get involved in that part of your sustainability programming? So I think becoming sustainable on the whole dairy is important. They brought to our attention about getting carbon for the methane. And so we did sign on for that. We have two digesters on two of our dairies. And so we did buy into that. How are you guys managing the difference in the quality or consistency of products you get out of those manure digesters versus previous manure management you were doing on the farm? I mean, to be able to get more sustainable is the goal. When we first put in the digesters, we were collecting the methane for electricity, Now we're working with another company and they are actually taking the gas off of it and they clean it and they compress it and they put it right into the natural gas line. Are you guys reusing your solids as bedding in that system? We do. So all of our manure is separated after it goes through the digester, it's separated and all the liquid gets spread as nutrients in the field and the solids get bedded for the dairy cows. So, Jeanette, I'm going to ask a question a little bit outside of carbon here, but you mentioned trying to become more sustainable on the farm and the dairy operation, too, obviously. Are you finding value in tracking sustainability through the milk process and all that type of output? Are there any values you see being created from that today? You know, are you seeing markets becoming available? Are you even trying to participate in anything like that? So, for our dairy in Ohio, we participate in a sustainability program. And so they actually take everything that we do, which, you know, comes to collecting all that data. And so I can give them all this information from every single pass that we apply to a field and they can say what like our carbon footprint is. So it's really neat and cool information. And I wish we could do more of something like that in New York, but our milk market in New York isn't to that point. Are there any kind of premiums that you can earn from doing that? Actually, so they give us funding for it, help us with some sustainability programs. Like they helped us purchase a cover crop tool to apply cover crops. And even in the barns and with the dairy cows, they can help us with tracking our water usage and fans. They can all go on thermostats and timers. And it's helped us learn a lot too. Good value there at least. So along those lines, Jeanette, carbon has been kind of the focus of sustainability discussions probably for a couple of years now, Tom, with it being that lead headline of things. It sounds like you guys are doing a ton of other sustainability stuff that may have links back to carbon, but not necessarily what we talk about in carbon all the time. What are some of the other sustainable practices you guys are implementing across the whole operation from the fans and the water use efficiency pieces that you're looking at on one of your operations? What's kind of that whole farm sustainability picture for you guys? So I think we're still learning on what to do. We just did an expansion over at one of our dairies. Like even the curtains on the barns goes off a temperature and wind. And so they'll come up and down is most comfortable for the cows. So even though we're trying to become sustainability, we're not 
taking away from the cow comfort and producing high quality milk. What are some of the feed management aspects you guys look at in sustainability? Do you measure, you know, we've got in your field records, all the individual field passes, but what are other data points in there on storage or shrink or that kind of stuff around feed inventories that you're looking at? Every load of feed that comes in is weighed. Every truckload of corn silage we harvest, every truckload of haylage that we harvest, everything is weighed across scales and put into a software and it's tracked. And then as they feed out every bucket full, every feed mix that they do is kept track of the monitor. You guys for sure have a lot of data. <laughs> <laughs> Told you I was data driven. <laughs> That's awesome. And, and you said that earlier, alluding to how you were data driven. Ultimately, at the end of the day, you know, these investments that you're making in equipment, in practices, in the digesters, that's an investment on your part. So how do you track in your data the ROI that you see on those investments? So it's all in our programs that we have. And that's one of the reasons why we have them is so we can track. I think a lot of people know or they think that they know what their costs are. But until you put it into a sheet or a software, I'm not really sure that you do. But. All that is to say, when you look at the bottom of that spreadsheet, what has that ROI been? Have you found that yet? Yeah, we're working on it. The hardest part about figuring out your cost is, so we strip till. So you take that strip till machine and how do you come up with your price per acre that you want to put on that? So that's kind of the hard part. So we kind of go off of custom rates and, you know, just put a number in. But I mean, until you know how long you're going to keep a piece of equipment, it's really hard to know exactly what your cost is against that. So like I'm still trying to figure it all out. And I do love my spreadsheets, but I keep track of all of our repairs on all of our equipment to try and distribute at across of our acres. That's probably one of the hardest things to do. It's very thorough. Very thorough. Yeah. So. Jeanette, a lot of the stuff that some of your record keeping for your operations goes back to that you guys fall under state regulations for concentrated animal feeding operation in New York with the number of cows that you have. How has having to be in a program like a CAFO program and have a permit either hindered you guys making changes on the farm or encouraged you to make more changes on the farm? I would say it's made a little harder just because of all the paperwork you have to do and everything you have to keep track of. But I mean, at the end of the day, you want to be a respectable farmer. You want to treat the land the way that it's supposed to be treated. You know, you want the consumer to respect you. So I think that part of those programs or those permits (laughs) at the end of the day, that's what you're getting from it. I mean, it does make things difficult, but it also makes us better farmers, too. Well, it sounds like, Jeanette, a lot of the things you're doing are more or less on a voluntary basis, too. So you're doing some things to keep your permits, obviously, but there's a lot of stuff you're doing that are voluntary. You're looking to create a sustainability platform for yourself. How much planning in the future are you doing? And I always tell everybody that I'm always looking to where the finish line is. So if you're looking for the finish line for sustainability on the farm, how far out are you looking? Are you looking at three years, five years, 10 years? How much planning are you going into? When we're talking about sustainability, we're kind of like preparing for the next generation. So I guess like the end would be for me, the next generation. When I'm really looking at the fine details to say where I want to be like in five years. But sustainability, I think, is what's going to help the next generation and to have your soil health and just a better environment at the end of the day is what we're looking for. As you guys look to the next five years, what are some new practices you've seen or products or equipment on the horizon that you're interested in pursuing in that next five years of practices or plans? Well, 
I mean, for 2022, you look at how high our costs are going to be this year. So this is a year that you need to get better at anything that you do. So to be able to utilize nutrients a little bit more efficiently, I think is what my biggest goal is right now. And I'm assuming your variable rate technologies and those type of things are all going to come into play this year as you're trying to reduce your inputs Absolutely. on the acre. Yes. Mother Nature is not going to get it in the way this year. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'll check in with you in May. Well, let's get real science fiction here then, Jeanette. You were telling me before that you've also recently become a hobbyist drone pilot, flying your drone over the uh, fields and taking pictures and video of the farm. And of course, that's really cool. But do you see any application for that in your operation five, 10, 20 years down the road here? Oh, absolutely. I mean, to be able to go into a field and see it from an aerial shot, I think is going to be huge beneficial. That's not what I've used it for yet, but... Down the line, what do you see? I mean, to see it from overhead, to get that aerial view, how does that help you in your operation? To be able to see how the corn crop is doing. So there's a lot of imagery out there right now and we utilize it a little bit, not as much as we should, only if we feel like there's a problem in the field, we'll use it. If we kept more track of our imagery and be able to go up and look at things, it's just something that we got to get better at doing. Right. Yeah. Well, you guys have 13,000 acres and that's a whole lot of land to inspect on foot. So I can, <laughs> Absolutely. I can see where uh, having that aerial perspective really starts to come in handy. Do you guys have any other questions for Jeanette? Yeah. How in the world do you milk that many cows? <laughs> <laughs> that would probably be my finishing question for the day. They got this new rotary milker. She's yep. just showing me pictures. Yeah, awesome. so we just put on a 72-stall robotic rotary parlor. It's been running one year. It's always important to talk to the grower about what the resource concern is. And Jeanette, it sounds like you've got multi-level resource concerns, whether it's environmental or economic or social. If you're looking at adding things like a rotary parlor that's robotic, you know, you guys are also being challenged probably with having enough staff to get everything done on a farm your size. So what would kind of be your top two resource concerns, whether it's economic or environmental or social at this point? So I think environmental is probably top and social, I think, is right behind. Everybody wants to know where their food comes from. And that's gotten really, really big. And I think farming has kind of laid back on that for too long. And so we have to build back up from there. And so social is definitely huge. Well, Jeanette, we preach on this podcast pretty regularly that growers are stewards of the land and certainly your operations in Western New York and in Ohio as well serve as a great example of that. It's been really fun to learn more about your operations. So thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for joining us on The Future Faster. Thank you. That is going to conclude this edition of The Future Faster, the pursuit of sustainable success with Nutrient Ag Solutions. New episodes arrive every other week, so make sure you subscribe in your favorite app and join us again soon. Visit futurefaster.com to learn more. The Future Faster podcast is brought to you by Nutrient Ag Solutions with executive producer Connor Irwin and editing by Larry Kilgore III. And it's produced by PodCamp Media. Branded podcast production for businesses, podcampmedia.com. For Nutrient Ag Solutions, thanks for listening. I'm Dusty Weiss.